So you and I can't burn our garbage, but the United States military can not only burn its garbage in the open air, it can burn its hazardous waste in the open air. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the In Our Backyard podcast with your host, Jen Galler. This is the Blue Ridge Environmental Defense League's podcast, where I discuss environmental issues that are happening right in our backyards. This episode, I talk with Laura Ola, who is Executive Director of Citizens for Safe Water around Badger. The mission of the group is to support, unify, and strengthen citizens' concerns for the safety of water resources in and around the Badger Army Ammunition Plant. Virtually every day, the Department of Defense and its contractors burn and detonate unused munitions and raw explosives in the open air with no environmental emission controls often releasing toxins near water sources and schools. The facilities operate under legal permits, but their potentially harmful effects for human health aren't well researched, and EPA records obtained by ProPublica show that these sites have violated their hazardous waste permits thousands of times. Most active sites, which currently burn or detonate waste into the open air, are run by the military and its contractors, according to the EPA and the Pentagon. The Radford Army Ammunition Plant in Virginia, for example, supplies explosives for almost every American bullet fired overseas and is allowed to burn up to 2.9 million pounds of waste every year. Citizens for Safe Water Round Badger's challenge is to ensure that the Pentagon fulfills its commitment to the complete cleanup of toxins that have placed ecological and human health at risk. With Laura, we discuss the negatives of open air burning, PFAS and alternatives, actions they've taken on local, state, and federal levels, other communities are polluting through open-air burning, and how you can support their efforts. To contact and connect with Laura will be in the show notes below, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. I'm with Laura Ola, who is the Executive Director of Citizens for Safe Water around Badger. And just starting out, could you talk about your organization, where you all are located, and what are some of the current issues you all work on locally and nationally? Sure. i calling from Wisconsin. I live near the Badger Army Ammunition Plant, which is near Devil's Lake State Park, and about an hour's drive from Madison, Wisconsin. We live near, very close to the Badger Army Ammunition Plant, and actually when we first moved here, we didn't really pay any attention to it because we were on the backside of the plant and all the buildings and infrastructure is several miles away out on the highway. And we first became aware of this in 1990. It was actually on my birthday when the army made a public announcement that anybody that lived near the Badger munitions plant could have their well water tested. We're in a rural area. So most of the people, there's about 300 homes and farms near the Badger property. And we all have our own drinking water wells. So that was the first indication there was any problem. We of course had our water tested at the time. I had three very young children and was a stay at home mom taught piano lessons on the side. And my neighbor called me and she also had three young children. And she said, they tested my water and they found chloroform. And we looked into it more and we found out that there was documents in the libraries and we reviewed those and there was concern south of the plant, but we lived in another area at the northeast corner. And we later learned that although this happened in 1990, 
many years before the Army knew about the groundwater contamination. Environmental Protection Agency, of course, the facility itself knew, health officials knew. So there had been meetings and discussions and actually environmental studies had been conducted as early as 1977, indicating there was problems at the plant. But this information never reached anyone in the community. There was an internal decision that there was no need to tell the community. And now, 30 years later, that continues to be the challenge and I'll talk about that more, and is to get information so people can make informed decisions. So when we first became aware of this, we were at a public meeting. It was held shortly after Division of Health, and somebody from Milwaukee newspaper said, are you guys with a group? And we're like, my friend and I looked at each other, he's like, no. And then he turned on his heel and walked away. And so we're like, well, maybe we need to form a group because we wanted to have a voice. And we talked to the owner of the local publication called the Shopper Stopper. And we used a copy machine and he gave us permission to use the mail tubes. And we went up and down the roads and announced a meeting at the local library. And that's actually how we started and had speakers come in that knew about groundwater and how we could advocate for ourselves. And within that first year of being organized, we learned our first lesson. And that was the Army had tested some wells starting earlier for nitrates starting in 1988, several years before. And they had been testing for a number of different chemicals and they had sent a copy of a report to the homeowner who was live on a little farm. And I went to the libraries and looked at the records there in hundreds if not thousands of pages and I found the original test results. And over a period of four years, I should say, the Army had deleted every single test result that exceeded an exceedance. So for example, nitrates were reported at 40, the safe standard is 10. And they had literally, that's when we still use whiteout, had whited out those exceedances. Then say not tested or not detected. So that was, again, now our second challenge was we didn't know. And now, going forward, we know there's actually four groundwater contaminant plumes at Badger. And then shortly after that, they proposed a new permit. They wanted to increase open burning of hazardous waste from 1,000 pounds per year to 2,500 pounds per day. And that was actually a campaign that lasted six or seven years. And ultimately, the Army withdrew the permit application. That's when applications were all on paper, and it was 10 three ring binders. So there was several feet of paper was just the application and that was withdrawn. But then we weren't done yet. Then the plant was slated for closure and as part of getting the property ready to transfer to new owners, they wanted to dispose of the buildings. There was nearly 1400 buildings and like other proposal before to burn, they wanted to do an open air burn and it would have been burning over 10 years. That's how long it would have taken. And actually the state of Wisconsin issued a variance so that they could open burn all these buildings. And this is done routinely at bases across the country at that time. And we reached out to find out, you know, has anybody successfully stopped this? Well, to make a long story short, again, that was like six or seven years of pushback EPA played a role because they discovered very high levels of PCBs were in the paints in the buildings. 
And it went so far that I have an EPA memo that said that they would be testing us as residents for PCBs before and after the burn to see what happened to us and what levels would be. And that was actually withdrawn. That went to EPA headquarters, which kind of brings us now to where we are today. And we are still monitoring the cleanup at the old Badger munitions plant. But we've been contacted by other communities around the country who said, how did you stop the burning at Badger? And so we connected with activists in Tennessee and California, Kentucky and Louisiana around this issue of not just open burning buildings, but open burning hazardous waste. And one of our really proud moments is we worked with U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin from Wisconsin, and she helped us in petitioning for a government accountability office, a GAO report on alternatives to open burning. Now this is, these technologies are not new. I was just reading some of the old news reports from when this was proposed years ago. And in 1982 already, Army's own consultants are saying, we need to move away from open burning. It's polluting everything. So in working with them, we got a GAO report on safe alternatives to open burning and open detonation. And that was in December of 2019. And the idea was to compel the military to really be taken to task on these alternatives. A lot of these technologies are in place because of the chemical weapons destruction program in the United States. When this was first decided decades ago that these needed to be destroyed, there was no available technology and many sustainable alternatives to open burning, such as supercritical water oxidation, which can actually destroy the toxins in munitions are available. And some of the technologies are actually owned by the military, but it keeps coming back to one thing, putting stuff in a big pile and putting jet fuel on it and adding dunnage, which could be wood pallets is cheap, but it's only cheap in the short term. So the groundwater contaminant plumes that really prompted our organization as a community 30 years ago are still here today because they are burn pits, not unlike the burn pits that are overseas, but these are burn pits here in the United States. And nationally, there are probably, there's more than 60 actual military bases here in the U.S. and the territories, but there's more than 200 burn sites. And many of them, virtually all of them are sources of major groundwater contaminant plumes. So the shift to PFAS, because we have been working actively on a national level to stop open burning of hazardous waste by the military. But we started looking at some of these permits. The current one that we've really focused on is the Holston Army Ammunition Plant in Tennessee. And we found out that the munitions that they are open burning contain PFAS. And for your listeners that know about PFAS, an open fire only disperses it to the air. This is product that was specifically designed and manufactured so that it would not be destroyed. It's used to put out fires as a surfactant. And it's highly toxic. They are bioaccumulative, which means if you are exposed to them through your drinking water contact with soil or surface water ingestion of fish, it's going to build up in your body just like PCBs would. And PFAS is a class of chemicals do not biodegrade. They, uh, that's why they're called the forever chemicals. It's like lead. It, nothing in nature can break it down. 
So yeah. that kind of gets you to where we are today. Again, with the PFAS, we've been successful in getting legislation at the state level and standards for PFAS, but we still have a long way to go because one thing has not changed over the last 30 years and the military is still our nation's biggest polluter. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great origin story and just how you all got to where you are today. And two of the main campaigns you all are working on is the ceasefire and then the PFOS, which you have been talking about. So is the main goal with that to ban it completely? And then if so, what what are the better alternatives for that and what could be used instead? One of the, in terms of the military, one of the, the sources that we know about the most about at this time is AFFF, which is aqueous film forming foam. It's used, if you've seen on television, like airplanes coming down and it's in trouble and they'll foam the runway, that's the kind of firefighting foam. It's designed to extinguish fuel-based fires. And there are safe alternatives. It's just a matter of getting them in place. And some things are happening, like requirements have been made. Congress has required Department of Defense to transition over to fluorine-free foams. And once there's a requirement like that, industry quickly steps up because there's going to be a market and there's going to be money to made. So I don't worry about the alternatives. Many are readily available and can be used right now, but military is gets set in their ways and SOP, standard operating procedures, and this is how we've always done it. And it really requires community members and veterans and soldiers to really demand the best. And yes, to answer your question, we believe the best thing is to ban PFAS altogether, and it should be regulated as a class. I know there are some very specific narrow uses that are medical or we don't yet have an alternative, but that's minuscule compared to the military uses, for example. Yeah, exactly. And with the Holston ammunition plant specifically, how did you all find the information for that or know that they're admitting a certain level of PFOS and what kind of action or pressure are you all putting on them for that? We learned about Holston from community members that lived there. Like mm -hmm. I lived near the Badger Army Ammunition Plant. This is another Army Ammunition Plant. And, you know, now was the internet and websites and Facebook, people find each other. And so we were actually contacted by residents there and became aware of the issue there. What we've done is it's very difficult, especially as a smaller community-based group, is to influence national policy when you're up against big international chemical companies that are looking for defense contracts and you're trying to change policy. So what we focused on doing the last couple of years is we're monitoring what's happening nationally and wherever these sites come up for permit renewals or to begin permitted at all, we challenge that because at the core of this is federal law. In the 1980s, Congress passed a federal law, thou shalt not open burn hazardous waste, period. Mm -hmm. The Department of Defense started whining about how difficult it was to comply with that, and they would need time to develop alternatives. Well, today they have taken 40 years, and these alternatives exist, and they still are not doing it. So what we're trying to do is to raise awareness of this and the fact that there are safe alternatives. There's no reason to open burn anymore, except the argument that it's cheap in the short term. And though it costs in our community, 
an aquifer and clean drinking water for hundreds of community members is to compel them to do that. So at the Holston Army Ammunition Plant, we did a lot of homework and looked at the applications. Unfortunately, not everything, but there's quite a bit of information on the Tennessee website. And you can look at, and I actually reviewed the application, which says of the munitions that are being opened, burned, they may contain as much as 15% PFAS by weight. And when you consider that they are allowed to open burn over 1 million pounds of hazardous waste a year and take 15% of that, when you measure PFAS contamination, it's in the parts per trillion. This is a matter of percentages. Mm -hmm. And it's not unique to Tennessee. In California, China Lake, they have a permit to open air burn over 5 million pounds. The crane per year, uh, Crane Naval Service Warfare Center in Indiana is 109 million pounds just in the open air. It's just crazy. You can't burn garbage in your backyard. In some cases, you can't, you know, have any kind of fire. And this massive scale of just throwing everything on the fire, and I'm not kidding, gloves, pieces of buildings, anything you can imagine if it is even partially flammable at the Holston facility, these great big, huge piles, and they pour fuel on it and they burn it. And it all goes into the air and it disperses widely. Things like dioxins can, can travel 10 miles from the source area through the air. The PFAS is going to go into the ground and into the surface water or accumulates it fixed. So there's this completely uncontrolled release. And EPA has not taken them to task and say, you've had 40 years. We were thinking maybe you have a year or two to develop technologies. Those technologies are in place. And we know that because EPA issued its own report the end of 2019. So a year ago, EPA published a big report and said, here's all the alternatives. But what's happening? They're getting ready at Holston, Tennessee, in the town of Kingsport, to allow them to continue to do that. And they published a report saying there's alternatives. And the Army, secondly, did a report of their own, which took us a year to get. But it said, you should use, I think I mentioned this before, supercritical water oxidation. It will destroy the munitions safely and protect the workers and the environment. And the residents, the smoke from them burning in Kingsport, Tennessee, envelops people's houses in smoke. So we know there's exposures. Mm-hmm. So it's just crazy. It's happening. It's the burn pits here in the United States. We've heard about the burn pits were just as important and just as serious of an issue. Again, militaries overseas, I understand there's limitations when you're in the field, but the technology is there and it's portable and you can build it and you can move it and you can protect people. So you and I can't burn our garbage, but the United States military can not only burn its garbage in the open air, it can burn its hazardous waste in the open air. Yeah. Do you think the reasoning that they're not switching to the alternatives is just for money reasons or convenience? And if so, what do you think would be like a turning point for them to change or switch to the more sustainable alternatives? That's a good question. That's actually laid out in the GAO report and Congress needs to provide the funding to underwrite it. Mm. We're still paying hundreds of millions of dollars, but it's at the back end and trying to clean up the environment. And we all know, and we've learned that here in my community, there's a groundwater contaminant plume that's moved three miles off site, is discharging to the Wisconsin River 
They operated a groundwater treatment system that cost a million dollars a year to operate it. They ran it for 20 years and the groundwater is still polluted. The problem with this, oh, we'll come back and clean it up, is there's not enough money to even do it. The most cost-effective way is truly to prevent the contamination to begin with in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so, honestly, you hit on the core of this, which it defies logic. Yeah. <laughs> it just defies logic. It's like if I've got a five-pound container of flour and I spread it all over my house and then say, don't worry, I'll clean it up. I mean, how am I going to get up every little particle of flour? It's not going to happen. Yeah. And in the town of Kingsport, where the Holston ammunition plant is, have you all seen any health effects from that or have any residents come to you talking about any? Certainly there's concerns. In my own community, it's the the same thing. In fact, they did a health assessment here and found where, because there was also decades of burning at the Badger munitions plant and elevated male urine kidney cancer was identified in female non-Hodgkin's lymphomas. Unfortunately, it's, you know, it's very difficult, especially in a rural area. It's just the federal government is unequipped to conduct good health studies. ATSDR did a health study around Love Canal and found no connection between the contaminants there and the well-documented cancers and other devastating illness in those communities. So we're advocating for preventing exposures to begin with. Yeah, exactly. And that just shows how important y'all's work and mission is to keeping the government accountable and also just educating and making the public aware that this is happening. So how could people support your work and what you all are doing? Well, until actually the next couple of days, what's the day today? The 11th until the 15th, mm-hmm. if you go to our website at cswab.org and click on action and updates, and you'll see a picture of the burning that's actually happening at Holston. And anybody can sign on to that comment letter. It'll be submitted formally to EPA as public comment. Facebook for us is really to get regular updates is good. And the one thing I I wanted to close with is having done this for 30 years. And when I tell the story, I hope it inspires people to recognize that you can be a small community organization. When we first started, you know, we didn't even have a computer or copy <laughs> machine, mm-hmm. but we stopped open burning of 1,400 buildings. There's been other sites, like at the Bluegrass Arsenal, we submitted comments. We didn't stop the open burning, but there's a whole huge list of chemicals that shall not be treated by open burning, and that became part of the permit. So it can be done. It takes diligence and it takes doing your homework. That's the key, but the facts are your armor. Facts are your armor. Mm-hmm. And if you take the time to read and participate, you can make a difference. And it, it's not evident right away. The other thing that's also changed more recently, and I've noticed it, is early on, because state regulators were partly at fault that this information did not reach the community, we were often treated like the adversary. But more recently, there's been more staff, people that are there for the right reason, not just there for a paycheck. And they understand that community isn't a nuisance. Community is an opportunity to get resources and raise a profile. So 
where you can, you know, building relationships. So if nothing else, you can get access to data with regulators. Facility, not so much. They make it difficult. We have open records requests to the Air Force for PFAS results for drinking water here in Wisconsin, because we know there's a problem and the levels are significant, but it's been two years. It's been two years for us to get information about what's happening in the groundwater that serves as a drinking water supply for the community. So the military, just as they have 30 years ago, has not changed. And our biggest problem continues to be, even 30 years later, is getting information in a timely manner. Because people can't advocate for themselves and defend their health and defend their community unless they are informed and have the truth. But it's withheld. And not only has it been withheld here, it's been intentionally obliterated. That's been a surprising lesson that I've learned. I didn't go into this with an opinion about any of this in mm-hmm. dealing with the military. But again, that's live and learn. Yeah. You can you can overcome. Yeah, that's great. And that's a great thing to end with. And just my last question is, how can people contact or connect with you if they want to do so? Just go on our website. There's an email. The email, I'm the only staff person, just comes to me. It'll say info at cswab.org. And I'm usually good about, you know, getting back to emails within a day or two. Thank you so much to Laura for talking with me with your experience and expertise. I'm going to link articles to alternatives to open air burning, what bioaccumulation of PFAS does to the human body, and EPA's rules to open air burning at military sites. Also, as Laura talked about, the Holston Army Ammunition Site in Kingsport, Tennessee, where they are openly burning PFAS, I'll link a petition that you can sign to help stop the polluting. And if your community has an Army site or industry that is openly burning waste or hazardous materials, feel free to contact Laura and her organization, Citizens for Safe Water Around Badger. And tune in next Friday for a new episode and have a good week, everyone.